Welcome into the 49er Access Podcast. My name is Sterling Bennett, and today we're going to react to the San Francisco 49ers 21-13 victory over the Seattle Seahawks. That saw the San Francisco 49ers clinch the NFC West, clinch their first division title since 2019. It's the first time they swept the Seattle Seahawks since 2011, and they also have put themselves in position to go undefeated in the division for the first time since 1997 with the win in Week 18 against the Arizona Cardinals, who will not have Kyler Murray. But more importantly, the Niners can become the number two seed in the NFC with the Vikings loss this weekend against the Indianapolis Colts due to having the tiebreaker when it comes to conference records. So a huge win for San Francisco on Thursday night against the Seattle Seahawks. We're going to dive into what the win means for the Niners. Also, what to make of Mr. Irrelevant Brock Purdy's performance. Going to dive into Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, the defense, everything that happened on Thursday night against Seattle. In Seattle, we're going to talk about here on the program today. But first off, what does this win mean for San Francisco? Kind of already dove into at the beginning, but again, San Francisco has clinched their first NFC West title, division title since 2019, swept the Seattle Seahawks for the first time since 2011, and have not only guaranteed themselves a spot in the NFC playoff picture, but also guaranteed they cannot finish lower than the number three seed due to having the tiebreaker over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This was a huge victory for San Francisco on Thursday night, huge for their playoff implications, and huge because guess what? This team may not just host one playoff game, which they've already guaranteed they're going to do, but if they become the number two seed this weekend, with the Vikings' loss, or at least get themselves in position for that with the Vikings' loss, the Niners might, if they can get that far, host two playoff games. Imagine two playoff games after three different quarterbacks, Mosley getting hurt, Kinlaw being hurt, Armstead being hurt for an elongated period of time, losing to Kansas City earlier this year, not knowing what the defense is going to be. In every single storyline you can put together, the Niners may host, again, Plenty of games left, but may host two playoff games and have already guaranteed Levi Stadium is going to host one playoff game this season come January. What a huge win. Give it up. Big claps for the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, come on. From where this team was to losing Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo and can Brock Purdy be the guy? Well, let's dive into Brock Purdy because... I talked about this game. We talked about this game, and I said, look, Brock Purdy beat the Dolphins, the top two offensive football. He also beat Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, arguably the greatest player of all time, outside of Jerry Rice. But I said this game against the Seattle Seahawks, not only his first road game, but this was probably going to be his biggest test thus far. Or... I could argue this season. Like, he has to play the Commanders. 
the Raiders, the Cardinals. Like, there really isn't much left of a test for Brock Purdy. And, and let's be clear here. Brock Purdy not only went on the road in his short week with an oblique injury, which kept him out of practice all week long, he went into Seattle, one of the toughest places to play in the NFL, did not have Debo Samuel, and put together a winning performance. I don't think it's out of the the realm of possibilities for me to say this, that Brock Purdy has faced every test head-on and come out the victor. Was he perfect against the Seahawks? No. But Brock Purdy, what he's done through three games, gives me hope this team can go to the Super Bowl. What he's done through three games, 11 quarters, I believe. This gives me hope that this team's Super Bowl aspirations are very much alive. And I sat here and I said, when Jimmy Garoppolo went down, I said, look, I have no idea what Brock Purdy's going to be. He can be great. He can be awful. I really would not blame him for either way. But I can tell you right now that I am someone who said, season's over with, pack up the bags. I just don't know what a seventh round Mr. Irrelevant has for us. And, I mean, look, if someone out there tells you, well, I knew all along, I knew this was going to happen, they're wrong. But I can tell you this, as someone who has watched these past three games along with you, I do not know how you watch Brock Purdy and say, eh, team's not very good. Teams are just as scared of this Niners team with Brock Purdy, if not more so than they were when Jimmy Garoppolo was the quarterback. Now, come playoff time, we'll see what happens. They could be one and done. They can be two and done. Whatever happens then, we will then make the judgment call. But right now, San Francisco was at a time in the year where they could have folded against the Dolphins, packed it in, packed it up against the Buccaneers. They could have came into Seattle on a short week, being banged up, not having their second-best offensive weapon and their top receiver. And if they would have lost, I would have said, yep, that makes sense. It's a Pete Carroll, Seattle Seahawks team defense. They're ready. San Francisco has their third-string quarterback. And if they lost, I would have said, yep. What did San Francisco do? They've rattled off three wins in a row with their third-string quarterback. And they now have clinched a playoff spot. If I asked you, when's the last time a head coach like Kyle Shanahan has gone from one quarterback to a second quarterback to a third quarterback and not only potentially got better, but rattled off three straight wins with the third string guy and went on the road to arguably their most hated rival the past decade and really put a stomp into him and clinched to the division. I don't think there is another coach, another team that's done that since San Francisco this year with Brock Purdy. I mean, like I said, Brock Purdy has faced every test head-on. Number two offense, greatest quarterback of all time. 
heated rival that's right behind you in the standings. And he said, none of that matters to me. None of it matters. In this game, Brock Purdy started 11 for 11. Can we talk about that? Well, no pun intended. Purdy touchdown pass. I guess both of them really to George Kittle. But the first one, fake to McLeod, fake to McCaffrey, Kittle over the middle, wide open 28 yards touchdown. What a great play call. There was a video on Twitter of Joe Montana doing the same kind of thing. And I, I'm not comparing the two, but it's reminiscent of a time where you said, there's something special going on in San Francisco that, like, when San Francisco had to start Brock Purdy, the conversation was, can they win in spite of Brock Purdy? Can he just be good enough? Brock Purdy has been more than good enough. I could argue Brock Purdy, the way he's played, he might be a top 15 quarterback already. And I get it. It's three games, not a whole season. Like, let's not get over our heads, right? But, and I'm going to read you some stats here later that might sway you that way if you don't believe just yet. So, beautiful pass to George Kittle earlier in the game. Fake to McLeod, fake to CMC over the middle touchdown. He has that second touchdown to Kittle later in the game where it was kind of a screen to McCaffrey or a fake screen. Kittle leaks out past the coverage. 60 yards later, touchdown pass. Now, Again, he wasn't perfect, but he almost threw that pick right to a DB, and you're like, oh, like that's two you've gotten away with, Brock Purdy, in the last two weeks. Now, look, everyone's going to have a bad throw. How many INTs did Smith throw in this game? Like, Geno Smith, who came into this game, was not a good quarterback, had turned the ball over eight times in his past, what, five or four games, like we, like we talked about? He almost threw three picks in this game. So... I'm okay with Brock Purdy throwing one. But even then, when that happened, Brock Purdy, he looked unbothered by the crowd. He looked unbothered by it being the Seahawks. The moment for Brock Purdy on the road, injured, no Debo, that did not look big enough to him. It was, it's another game. Who cares? He looks built for this that the big moments where the bright lights are on in prime, like this was his first prime time game too. The like, the world saw him beat the Dolphins, said, that's eh, a one-hit wonder, whatever. Then he beat Tom Brady and was like, wow, but, but the Buccaneers aren't that great. Then it was, can you go on the road, look poised in that crowd, that environment, almost 70,000 people yelling your name. What did he do? Oh, and also, not your best receiver, your oblique and your ribs are hurt. Can you win that game? And he said, yeah, piece of cake. I mean, come on. There was a play in this game where it, the play didn't even count. But Brock Purdy hiked the ball, fell over, got back up, and then completed the pass to McLeod for like 10 yards. And in my head I said, that, <laughs> that looked kind of like Russell Wilson. I mean, how many times, and maybe it was because they were playing Seattle, but how many times have we seen Russell Wilson fall over, get back up without being touched, somehow evade pressure and still complete the pass? I mean, I don't think that's out of the question of Brock Purdy in that, at least that one play 
looked like Russell Wilson. And I think that was the one thing with Russell Wilson wasn't the biggest guy. He wasn't the strongest guy. He wasn't the best quarterback in the NFL ever. But he was poised under pressure. He had this unquantifiable it factor. Like, Brock Purdy's 3-0. Now, I get that he won't get the credit for that Dolphins game, but we know he's 3-0. And in this game, he finished 17 for 26, 65% comp percentage, 217 yards, two touchdowns, and there are two plays I want to point out to you that I do think show how poised he was, that the moment wasn't too big for him, that he might be just built for this. There are not many teams in NFL history that can say they have you know, gone through three quarterbacks or that the quarterback being the weakest link on the team per se, or even the miracle quarterback where it's Kurt Warner for the Rams or Nick Foles for the Eagles or Trent Dilfer for the Ravens, but those stories do happen. And we might be in the midst of, of one of those stories. Now, again, long season to go, a lot of games to be played. But right now, Brock Purdy's got myself. This fan base feeling pretty good. Pretty good, you could say. But there are two plays in this game where I do think they are highlights or, or, or they do highlight what I mean when it comes to Brock Purdy being poised, where the moment's not too big for him. And one of those being... Third down, backed up in your own territory. If you do not get the first down, the Seahawks likely get the ball back either on your own territory or close to midfield, down by eight points. And what does he do? Hikes the ball to Jawan Jennings, first down. In coverage. Unafraid of, I have to make this throw. If I don't make this throw... I am putting the opposition into great field territory to potentially win this game. Now, look, the defense played great, but still, defenses do break sometimes. Even the best of them do break. We've seen it plenty of times. Falcons game, heck, even late in this game, where it was 6 to what, 21, 6 to 14, whatever it was, they wide open touchdown. Like, Hufunga blue coverage again. Easy touchdown for for Font over the middle. But Purdy in this moment was poised. He was composed of, I have to make this throw. The second play, I could argue the biggest play of the game in regards to what Brock Purdy did outside of throwing two touchdowns. Because in the moment, it essentially sealed you the game. There was around 2 minutes and 42 seconds left on the clock in the fourth quarter. Seattle had one timeout and it's third down. You are likely going to give the ball back to Seattle with a two-minute warning down by eight points, and they're going to have at least one shot to go down there and tie this game up late. If San Francisco, Brock Purdy, do not convert this play, you are asking your defense to win this game for you once again. And how many times have we seen a Seattle game come down to Seattle has the ball, it's the last minute, And they pull some miracle out of the you-know-what and tie the game, win the game, whatever it is. And it was like, you do not want to put your team in that position. What does Brock Purdy do? And I have no idea if it was a design play, 
but he runs for the first down and slides inbounds. Those are the moments. Those are the plays. There's even a play earlier where backed in their own territory before the Jennings third down play, where if that was Jimmy Garoppolo, if that was Trey Lance, and I don't want to compare anybody not taking a shot, but if that was Jimmy G, that's a sack and it's a safety. One of the why I've seen that twice this year. <laughs> I know what that play is. What does Purdy do? Escapes the pocket, finds time, incomplete pass, but who cares? It's not two points for the opposition. And yeah, is that a gimme? Is that a, you have to make that play? Sure. But when Kyle Shanahan calls Brock Purdy, the same guy who had RG3, Kirk Cousins, Trey Lanson, and seemingly every single Browns quarterback they ever had in there when he was in Cleveland, he called him the most poised rookie he's ever had. Brock Purdy, seventh round, Mr. Irrelevant, is the most poised quarterback Kyle Shanahan has ever had as a rookie. Over number three overall pick, Trey Lance, who is still in this quarterback room. Over RG3, number two overall pick back in Washington. Over, I think, fourth round pick, Kirk Cousins. The guy who was rumored to be the guy Shanahan always wanted, not only here, but in that draft as well. Brock Purdy, the most poised quarterback he's ever had as a rookie. And I'll even add this to it. Brock Purdy became the first rookie QB to win his first two career games. And guess what? In those technically first two career games that he won, excluding the Miami game, he beat a Super Bowl-winning quarterback, the quarterback that has the most rings of all time, I might add, and then he beat, in the second win, a Super Bowl-winning head coach in Pete Carroll. You cannot write this stuff. What Brock Purdy is doing is not only a Lifetime movie, not only a Hallmark movie, not only an eventual Disney movie, not an E uh, you know, an, an E60 movie documentary. Brock Purdy, and who knows how long this lasts, but right now Brock Purdy's making history. This has never been seen before. I hope you know that. <laughs> like, we're not supposed to be here. He's not supposed to be here in every single game. And look, this was his worst start out of the three games he's played by far. Was he awful? No. Like, 217 yards, two touchdowns, 65% of your passes. That's fine. You're hurt. It's a short week. Get in. Get out with the win. Nobody cares. This is a get in, get out kind of game. And what did you do? You get in, you got out, and it's a hat and t-shirts celebrating an NFC West division title game for you. And I will add this, and we'll leave Brock Purdy behind. Because I do think this may add a little more flair, maybe a little more historical context to, again, we're not supposed to be here. 
This is not supposed to be happening. And it's unbelievable that it is. Since 2008, there are only two quarterbacks in their first two starts who have 175-plus passing yards, two-plus touchdowns, 115-plus passer rating. Can you guess who they are? Well, one's Brock Purdy. But number two is arguably the greatest quarterback in the past, what, 10 years maybe? Or at least he's in that conversation. It's Aaron Rodgers. Aaron freaking Rodgers. <laughs> like, come on. This isn't supposed to be happening, people. The fact that Brock Purdy's in the same conversation as Aaron Rodgers, he's the first rookie quarterback ever in his first start to beat Tom Brady. And in his first two career starts, he beat Tom Brady and Pete Carroll, two guys who have won freaking Super Bowls. And in his second career start, third career game, technically is a full game, he clinched the NFC West in Seattle. What was the one thing we always talked about of what, what Smith can't do, what Kaepernick can't do, what Jimmy did once? The moment Jimmy Garoppolo clinched the division in 2019, in Week 17, as a quarterback, that was when I said, oh my God, he got us over the freaking hump that was Seattle. He's the guy. And Brock Purdy said, hey, guess what? I'll do it in my first freaking try. And it was like, oh, <laughs> okay. He did it like it was nothing. Now, I, I get it. It's not Russell Wilson, not Bobby Wagner. It's not Sherman. I get all that stuff. This ain't the Legion of Boom. I get that. But Seattle has been a place where San Francisco's playoff hopes go to die. I haven't talked about how coming into this game, this is Seattle we're talking about, people. I think we'll win. But if we lost, I would say, yeah, it's Seattle. That makes sense. If we're going to lose anywhere, it's going to be Seattle. And Brock Purdy and this Niners team said, uh -huh, uh -huh. that's cute. Who's Seattle? Who are the 12s? They mean nothing to me. Nothing to us as a team. And, and look, it's not just Brock Purdy. It's Christian McCaffrey, too. And we've talked about plenty of times how this may go down as the greatest trade in the Shanahan era. I think it already is. This may go down as maybe the best trade in the last 20 years in San Francisco 49ers history. Like, what Christian McCaffrey has done to the offense, you can talk about it for a freaking decade. He is, of all the talk of that, this team needs an elite quarterback. This team might have just needed an elite running back. Because let's be honest here, Brock Purdy's not elite. He's not. He doesn't have those traits. Now, he's got something to him, but he doesn't have the elite traits that we see now. The Mahomes, the Burrows, and you don't have to win that way, but that's what's very common nowadays. Mahomes, Burrow, even Stafford last year, even in his heyday in Detroit, he had some elite traits. Those teams just sucked. But Christian McCaffrey, like, this is Kyle Shanahan's Terrell Davis. And McCaffrey's better than TD. And I love TD. But Shanahan, like, when I talked to Matt Barrows in the offseason 
of 2021. Prior to them trading up for Trey Lance, it was, look, what is Shanahan looking for? He's looking for his John Elway. And that happened to be who we thought was Trey Lance, right? I don't think Kyle Shanahan now, look, long season, anything can happen. But at least right now, I don't think Kyle Shanahan, while he may have wanted John Elway, he may have just needed Terrell Davis. And I think he may have found him in Christian McCaffrey. And McCaffrey is 10 times the running back, no disrespect, 10 times the player Terrell Davis ever was. More impactful. A better pass catcher, a better runner, a better player all around. In the first half of this game, McCaffrey had 19 touches, 87 yards, and one touchdown. He finished 32 touches, 26 carries, 6 catches, 138 yards, and one touchdown. I mean, come on. In his last three games, McCaffrey has at least 138 yards, two receptions, and one touchdown. McCaffrey has not only jumped Debo Samuel as the number one offensive weapon on this team, I could argue he went from one of the top offensive weapons in football to the top offensive weapons in football with Kyle Shanahan. And that's Justin Jefferson, great receiver. Tyreek Hill, great receiver. Outside of the quarterback, I think it might be just Christian McCaffrey. He has been clutch since day one. Even in the Chiefs game, limited reps, he was money. Every game, his first real start with us, he had three touchdowns. Passing, rushing, receiving. And this guy, like, again, this is the greatest trade in Niners history, arguably since Deion Sanders. And the only reason why that trade gets mentioned so much is because they won a championship. And it was a one year playoff wonder. And Deion was great. He was prime time. They needed him. This might be a better trade. When all is said and done, this trade might be talked about in those same conversations of what's the greatest trade in San Francisco 49er history. If McCaffrey can even do 75% of what he's doing now for the remainder of his contract. Yeah. Greatest trade in Niners history. Greatest one ever, ever, ever. And I don't think like there may be a debate somewhere in there for somebody else. And maybe I'm forgetting somebody else. Maybe my mind is just centered on how good CMC is. Like, my God. <laughs> and look, and I'll admit, I'm a young cat. I'm 26 years old. I didn't even get to see Deion Sanders on this team. I have never seen this Niners team win a Super Bowl. But I can tell you right now, you can feel the impact of Christian McCaffrey every single play he's in. Fans were screaming. I was screaming, can someone put Jordan Mason in? Shanahan said, why would I do that? I have Christian McCaffrey. Why would I not give him 26 carries? Why would I not want our offensive MVP 
to touch the ball 32 times. He is right now unstoppable. Nobody can stop Christian McCaffrey. And George Kittle. We talked about coming into this game that the last time San Francisco played in Seattle, George Kittle had two big touchdowns. Could he do that once again? Well, George Kittle in this game had two big touchdowns. <laughs> I mean, every single time they seem to play Seattle, George Kittle has a big game. It's a big moment. It's a clutch game. I mean, let's be honest here. My mind, when I think of George Kittle, I think of he may not have an amazing season, but in a big game, he's going to come through. NFC Championship game last year, who caught what was supposed to be the game-winning touchdown? Put you up by 10 points. That's right, George Kittle. Who caught touchdowns against the Bengals? That's right, George Kittle last year. Two touchdowns in this game. Touchdowns against the Chiefs earlier this year. Now, granted, they lost that game, but you get my point. When it's a big game, your money better be on George Kittle. Better be on George Kittle. But as we move to the defense, can we just talk about something weird that happened in this game? It was weird. It, it, it was confusing. I said, what the heck was that? And I think many fans were like, that was a little weird, Kyle Shanahan. I don't know why you did that, but oh, but okay. <laughs> so Purdy almost throws the interception. The drive kind of stalls out. Oh, excuse me. Sorry. Wrong notes. <laughs> Wrong notes. Sorry. Shanahan tries to draw the Seahawks off sides on fourth down. He gets them to jump on fourth and seven, and now it's fourth and two. But then he punts the ball away. And you're like, so what was the purpose of you trying to get them to jump? Did you want the free play? Is that what you wanted? Maybe. Maybe that's the case. But they put you in a better position than you were on their side of the field. And you said, now nah, give them the ball back. And look, Wisnowski has been house freaking money this year. Coffin corner punt that thing. He's been great all year. I got no problems with you trusting your defense. Trusting Wisnowski, but, and yes, they won. I get that. <laughs> like, this is the smallest nitpick ever. It was just a weird moment where I said, what are we doing? Why are we doing that? Like, what was behind that decision as a head coach? So it's fourth and seven, they jump, it's fourth and two, and then you punt it still. On their side of the field, you have momentum and you have Christian McCaffrey, why not just be aggressive and play for the win? Now, they did win under the bridge, water under the bridge, but it's not like if you don't get it, you still don't have the leading and don't have the number one defense in football, and it just was a weird moment where I said, Shanahan, you're calling a heck of a game, your third-string quarterback on the road, like, Shanahan deserves so much credit for what he's done since Brock Purdy took over. So much. In this game, he deserves so much credit. The fake double, fake to McLeod and McCaffrey to Kittle. It's like, there's so many plays you can say, wow, that was awesome. That was a great play call. That was a great game plan for you or for this team. But in this moment, I said, uh... 
What are you doing, Kyle? Why, why are you doing that? I don't know. And it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, but why are you choosing to not go for it? Why do you want him to jump and then not go for it? But I digress. Does it matter? Did it matter? San Francisco still got the win 21 to 13. Could have made it 28. They took three, four knees to the goal line. Like this game could have been a 15 point difference, a two score difference. San Francisco said, we got the dub, whatever. It's semantics. We're not going to be like Pete Carroll against Jim Harbaugh at USC and Stanford and run the score up and all that crap. We're not doing it, right? They said, knee it. So whatever. They got the win. But can we talk about the defense now? I mean, all the conversation has been, yeah, the defense is the number one defense in football. Yeah, that's true. And the Seahawks game plan in this game made no sense. I mean... It played right into the hand of what San Francisco wanted to do defensively. They made, and I think Seattle chose, to make Geno Smith pass the ball 44 times in this game. Geno Smith! Geno Smith! 44 times in this game. And it wasn't like... Like, they weren't taking deep shots. It was screen pass, screen pass, quick out, quick slant, over the middle, quick out, screen pass, screen pass. And it was like, hey, it's not working. And I talked about coming into this game, San Francisco's defensive line was banged up. And Seattle said, we're not going to run at that. We're going to make Geno Smith throw the ball 45 times. What is that game plan? Like... The whole point of football, or even anything, whether it's baseball, football, basketball, war for all I care, when your opposition has a weakness, why wouldn't you want to exploit that? Now, don't get me wrong. Eric Armstead was freaking money in this game. Eric Armstead, hey, I missed you. We missed you. I mean, this is an entirely different defense with him on the field. Eric Armstead was awesome in this game. May not be in the stats or the box score, but Eric Armstead was all over the field on running plays, on passing plays. Eric Armstead, even more claps, my guy. Oh my goodness. My God, he was great. Ebukam was great. Two quarterback hits, one TFL, one sack. He was great in this game. Lenore was great in this game. Would have had that pick six. He was great in coverage all night. I mean, my goodness. Mooney Ward, I mean... Talk about a free agent signing. He mirrored DK Metcalf all night until he got hurt in the third quarter. He's okay. He passed concussion protocol. They were just playing it safe. They knew they had the lead. And Janoris Jenkins, he's stepping up big time. He was activated for his first game all year. He was signed two weeks ago. And he was playing outside corner in the fourth quarter. I mean, <laughs> come on. The Jack Rabbit playing outside corner? I... I, I don't know. But Mooney Ward, he was aligned across from DK Metcalf on 25 of DK's 35 routes. So 71% of the time, Ward was shadowing Metcalf. In those 35 or 25 routes, excuse me, Ward forced, forced, well, I can't talk, 
forced three tight window throws on six targets, allowing four receptions for 33 yards. Mooney Ward this year allowed the lowest completion percentage, 51.9, basically 52, and forced the highest tight window target rate at 34.6 since entering the league in 2018. Talk about a free agent signing. People were saying, get J.C. Jackson. He has the most interceptions. We got to get that guy. Pay that guy $70 million. And San Francisco said, no, we want Mooney Ward. People were like, who the heck is that guy? The guy played in Kansas City? Charvarius? And I love Mooney Ward, not making fun of his name, but... Many fans were like, who's Charvarius Ward? My God, who is that guy? You're playing it, you're paying a chief that much money? That defense stinks. And it was like, no, no. John Lynch, Demeco Ryans, they know exactly what they're doing. They're signing a cornerback that can eliminate their opposition's number one receiver. Hey, Tyreek Hill. Granted, that didn't really work this year, but that was Ufonga's fault. But Tyreek Hill, DK Metcalf, Cooper Cup, Allen Robinson, Chris Olave. You put your number one receiver against Mooney Ward? Likely not going to end well. Huge, impactful signing for San Francisco. And, and look, they had, what, two takeaways in this game? One takeaway is Mooney Ward's more recovery, and that was it. They had the they had the almost pick. They had like three drop picks in this game. They had the, the Lenore drop pick or the pick that was called back for roughing the passer. Then Hufunga dropped the pick, and then it was just like, what is happening? <laughs> like San Francisco could have had three turnovers in this game or three takeaways in this game. This game could have been 35 to 6, 35 to 13. Like San Francisco, it's an eight-point score difference. This game could have been so much uglier. And I'm not going to forget this man, but we have to mention Nick Bosa. I mean, Nick Bosa, we know it as Niner fans. Apparently, Emmanuel Acho doesn't understand that Nick Bosa should be the defensive player of the year over Micah Parsons. I mean, my God, dude. Like, Micah Parsons is great, but it's Nick Bosa. Like, there is there is nobody like Nick Bosa in the NFL. There is nobody, and again, Micah Parsons is a great player. Great player. I would have loved to have him in 2021. And maybe if everything goes right with Brock Purdy, maybe we're having that conversation of what if, right? What if? But Nick Bosa had three quarterback hits, one sack, already passed his career high with 15 and a half sacks this year. And here, listen to this. Listen to this stat. Since sacks became official in 1982, there have been five players to record 15 or more sacks in two of their first four NFL seasons. Nick Bosa became number five against Seattle in Week 15. The other players, Richard Dent, Andre Tippett, J.J. Watt, 
and if not the one of the greatest pass rushers ever, ever, Reggie White. That is the career trajectory Nick Bosa's on. And I can argue that Nick Bosa, despite having really no hardware to show for it, might be better than J.J. Watt this early in his career. And he lost the year due to stupid turf in New York. Nick Bosa is in the same conversation as Reggie White, J.J. Watt, Richard Dent, and Andre Tippett. You can't get any better than that. And again, I don't know what Seattle was doing, making Geno Smith throw 44 times. Like, I was thinking, hey, Kenneth Walker, he's healthy, he's back. They're going to run the football. They said, now we're good. They ran the ball 14 times. Kenneth Walker carried the ball 12. 12. San Francisco outgained them 381 to 277. Held the ball for 33 minutes compared to 27 minutes for Seattle. And catch this. Seattle had one more first down, had four more passing first downs, was just a little worse on third downs, ran the exact same amount of plays, had one less drive, but San Francisco said, we're going to outgain you in the passing game. We're going to outgain you by 100 yards on the ground. We're going to protect our quarterback. One sack compared to three sacks. We're going to get takeaways. And guess what? We're going to freaking beat you in your home field. Lumen Field now, I think, was like Lumen Field. Nah, man. That's Levi's North now. <laughs> That's Levi's North now, my guy. Like, nah. They're... And look, we've talked about how the faithful travel so well. There was a point in time in this game, and I believe in the first quarter, you can hear the fans chanting, Defense! Defense! What has that ever happened in Seattle? It happens that... Levi South, SoFi all the time, happened in Mexico, it'll happen in Arizona next year, it happened in Carolina this year. When has that ever happened in Seattle? And look, Seattle fans are great. I have plenty of friends who are Seattle fans. They're, they're nice people, nice folk, you could say. But when has that ever happened? And maybe they can help me out. Like, why are Niner fans invading Seattle now? It's not like they didn't know it was a win-or-go-home, essentially. Like, Seattle, their playoff hopes are, well, not over with. I mean, you you have to win out now, pretty much, to go to the wild card. Like, what are the odds the Giants and the Commanders don't at least stay on par with who they are now? Like, Seattle may not make the playoffs now. And by that, San Francisco may have essentially ended... The Saints season, the Cardinals season, the Buccaneers season, kind of, albeit they'll win the division because the division sucks, but you get my point. Like, the Bucs were like, maybe we can get the three seeds still, and it was like, no, no, we have Brock Purdy. Such ass, <laughs> right? And now it's like Seattle's season might be over too. Like, Steve Young said, let's go on a roll of ending your opponent's seasons. 
we might have ended Seattle's season tonight. Now again, maybe not. But we sure as heck ended their chance to win the NFC West. And that might be their only hope of going to the playoffs. I mean, my God, guys. Like, take a step back and just think. Like, it's always hard to reflect when you're feeling good, you're feeling high. Sometimes you are a prisoner of the moment. The San Francisco 49ers this year were 3-4. and four. We were having conversations of, oh my goodness, this team might not be good enough to do what last year's team did. Th- this team, if they fall to 3-5, and five, might not be able to make that comeback. They have not lost a game since. Seven wins in a row. SoFi checked it off beat the Rams when they had Cooper Cup, when they had Matthew Stafford, when they had Allen Robinson, when they had Aaron Donald. Beat the Chargers at home on the after the bye week. Beat the Saints who are a tough defense. Beat the Buccaneers with Tom Brady and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Beat the Dolphins who... Mike McDaniel and Jeff Wilson Jr. and Raheem Mostert and Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle and Tua Tagovailoa playing the best game of his life. Now beating Seattle on the road. This team went from three and four to oh my goodness, this team might not be good enough to be as to do what last year's team did. Is saying, hey, we're not even gonna have five losses, and we're gonna already surpass what we did last year. All the conversation of this team, I, I, I don't know who they are. They might not be a wild card team. I don't know. They're a long season to go. Might, might be fighting towards a stretch. They're 10 and 4. 10 and 4. And they could be the number two seed in the NFC by the end of this weekend. If the Vikings lose to the Colts, we're talking number one seeded Eagles. Number two seeded San Francisco 49ers with Kyle Shanahan at the helm, Christian McCaffrey, Brock frickin' Purdy, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, the number one defense in football who was expected to get back Elijah Mitchell and Javon Kinlaw. Oh, wait, and Debo Samuel. It's a long way to go still, folks. Maybe I'm riding high because we are NFC West champions with plenty of football to play. But I don't know how anybody sits there and says, I'm either not impressed with San Francisco or they are not completely on board with what this team has to offer. The Snyder's team might lose in the first round. I don't know. We'll see. But I can tell you right now, it don't look that way. This team wants to play Philadelphia. This team wants to play Dallas. This team wants to play Miami. This team wants to play Patrick Mahomes. Now, maybe that's getting too far in the deep water there. But this team is saying... Who we were is not who we are. Bring 
it on. We have no fear. And I think right now, like, when you beat Seattle in Seattle, it's been kind of a tell for San Francisco's season. 2011, they went to the Super Bowl. 2019, they went to the Super Bowl. I, I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying something. <laughs> like, whenever they happen to beat Seattle in Seattle, they tend to go to a certain place called you-know-what. Now, hopefully they can do the thing they should do when they get there, but <laughs> you get my point. Good things happen when you beat Seattle in Seattle. And they did. 21-13. to Your San Francisco 49ers are your 2022 NFC West Divisional Champions are currently the number three seed can finish no less than the number three seed in the NFC and might be the number two seed come the end of this weekend. Wow. Just, just wow. That being said, if you want to go to any remaining Niner games this year, Use our promo code 49ERSACCESS, 49ERSACCESS at SeatGeek.com. Save yourself $20 off your first purchase. Also, use our Fanatics link down in the description. You want to get some NFC West Divisional Championship gear? You want that Brock Purdy jersey? You want that Christian McCaffrey jersey? Use that link down in the description. Save yourself some money and support the show. In the meantime, also, follow us on social media. Instagram is at 49ers.access, almost at 14,000 followers. Twitter is 49ers underscore access, five followers away from 2,800. We're growing slowly, but surely. See almost 5,000 follower growth on the Instagram in the past two months. You guys are amazing. Don't forget to like share, subscribe, leave that review, and celebrate being NFC West champions the only way you know how. And until next time, my name is Sterling Bennett. This has been the Forward Inner Access Podcast, and stay faithful. Rocking around the Christmas tree at the Christmas party hop. Mistletoe home where you can see every couple tries to stop.